Hey Podnuts, Corey here from Instant House Call. Whether you're a break-fix tech who needs to provide remote support on demand without pre-installed software, or a managed service provider who wants to connect to unattended PCs anytime, Instant House Call makes remote support easy. I want to invite you to try Instant House Call free for yourself. Go to podnuts.com and click on the link in the show notes, then use the promo code PODNUTS. Instant House Call is the best remote support on earth. We can prove it. Try it free now and see for yourself. Welcome to PodNuts Daily, episode number 491, a show for computer repair techs by computer repair techs. I'm your host, Jeff Alch. I'm joined today by Zarenko from Rent Z Geek. Welcome to the show, Zarenko. Welcome to you. Thank you very much for having me, and I want to thank Paco for encouraging me to, to participate. Awesome. I've always said that Paco has always been my number one cheerleader when it comes to promoting this show and getting other techs to come on here and talk about what they do. So with that, let's go ahead and start off with a little bit of background about you and where did you get started in computer repair? Well, I guess uh, my, my first uh, exposure to computers was, I don't know, mid-80s on the Sinclair, no, it's, what is it, ZX Spectrum, I think it was. It was some sort of a little machine that you plugged into a TV and stored the data on audio tapes, and it was it was pretty pathetic. Uh, <laughs> but but the real real computer, uh, you know, uh, kind of a Windows machine was. I had a friend uh, uh, who worked for a DEC uh, corporation and and uh, had an extra laptop back in ninety one ninety two and said, Hey, uh, you want to play with this for a few months? I said, Sure. So I was online, I think it was on CompuServe in 92. Uh, so that was my first real computing experience. CompuServe. Wow, that, <laughs> that brings it way back. Yeah. <laughs> I remember all the free disks you would get from places like CompUSA and, and whatnot throughout the years. Well, not, nothing could match the, uh, the uh, disks from AOL, but uh, I think CompuServe was not far behind. <laughs> Well, very cool. So now, because I, I always tell my story a little bit that I basically had started off with a TI-99 and that would have been back in the, that would have been back in the 80s. And same thing, audio tapes and all that kind of stuff. We were writing games and, and playing them with a, uh, basically a, a tape drive at the time. Um, and they also had cartridges and whatnot. But yeah, I didn't really get into my first, what I would call modern computing experience with Windows till like 99. So I was a little bit farther behind there. Not, not, not much has changed in those first few years. I don't think, you know, we went from, you know, a mega Ram to two or something like that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so now that got you interested in computers and now you're in business for yourself. What made you decide to basically go into business for yourself? You know, it was it was interesting. I I, I uh, I'm originally from Croatia and and uh, studied geology and and moved to the U.S. as a young adult before I finished college. So w when I got here, I, I uh, kind of shifted gears and and uh, got a degree in in uh, a business degree with information systems emphasis and uh, kind of got a job straight out of college uh, working for a Department of Defense contractor, and I've been there for now I don't know 18 years. Um, so also doing it, uh, but, but, you know, during that time, uh, you know, people would always ask for help and, and, uh, for a while I provided it for free and, you know, friends and family. 
but you know, in about 2005, 2006, I realized that some people did not really appreciate or value uh, the, the free help that I was providing and, uh, you know, my spending my weekends on, on their computer and fixing it. Um, so I said, well, you know, let's see what happens if I charge for the same time that I was, you know, putting in with friends and see if uh, it's it's a little bit more, more appreciated. And sure enough, people were thrilled to, to pay uh, for someone who could help them and kind of navigate uh, the, the uh, computing world. And uh, so I've been doing this as a side gig since about 2006, so uh, I guess 11 years now. Wow, that that is a long time to be doing it. And I think we all have a similar story as far as starting off with friends and family and fixing their stuff. And then I think you get to the point where, yeah, again, you don't mind helping people, but you also like to be compensated to a certain extent too, so that you can do fun things. You know, yeah. you know, for me, it was really more than the compensation. I mean, that came in later, but really what pushed me was the fact that, you know, I had few friends that I was helping who, uh, you know, expected it and, and demanded and were upset when something wasn't working. I was like, come on, you know, I'm doing this for free. I'm spending hours on, you know, doing you a favor. And, you know, I don't know. So anyway, uh, that's what kind of pushed me in, into doing uh, paid work. And, and I mostly do um, you know, small micro businesses, uh, you know, you, professionals that work from home may have, you know, two, three computers, tiny little network uh, from home office and, and, you know, businesses up to, you know, about 10 people or so. Um, anything over than that, I really kind of turn away just because any, any business that's bigger than that would really want a faster response time and, uh, you know, support during the day, which I just can't provide. So I usually refer that, to, you know, to, to uh, someone else uh, to handle bigger businesses. And, uh, you know, for as long as I have my day full-time IT job, I really am kind of limited in, in the availability of, you know, evenings and weekends. So. No, that's understandable. And I, I, I totally uh, concur with that because, I think a lot of people look at it and they, they think that it, even as part-time business owners and even as full-time business owners, uh, most people don't have what, what I'll say is an, you know, an SLA, a service level agreement. And yet they treat every customer like they do have a service level agreement, which means that the, as soon as the customer says, Hey, I need you over here, I'm going to be over there. And it's like, no, there's, there's only so many hours in a day and there's only so many people to go around. And especially uh, us that are doing this part-time, We've got to be able to spend time with family, do the things that we do, plus our day jobs and other things. So I think it's it's fair to say that you find businesses that are going to fit you and not have that expectation of you dropping whatever you're doing and, you know, getting right on it. So, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of small businesses out there that are willing to pay for that because maybe they don't want to pay the premiums that some of the bigger ones are going to charge because they're going to be Johnny on the spot. Yeah, and I'm I'm always upfront, you know, kind of when I first start talking to a new client, you know, I never try to hide that I'm not available during the you know business hours, and and uh, I said, you know, uh, if you need you know nine to five support, uh, you know, I'm not your guy, but uh, I'll I'll help you find somebody who who's going to be a good fit for you. So I, you know, I kind of approach it, you know, very straightforward, and and uh, I don't want to take on a client and not be a good fit. And two months later, they fire me or, you know, I 
keep pulling my hair out because I can't get to things in, in a fashion that I'd like to, uh, you know, be attentive to a client, client's needs. Yeah, that's, that's good. And I think that's the uh, biggest thing is the communicating with the customer, letting them know your availability and what you can do or can't do for them. Um, a lot of times I will actually try to talk businesses out of hiring me. And it's usually through, <laughs> only through back and forth emails where I go, listen, I, I'm not available all the time, but if you need somebody to take care of you when I can, then we can work together. If not, then, uh, you know, we can't work together and you're going to have to find somebody else. But I think there's a lot of businesses out there, especially the small and micro businesses that are left out in the dark for the most part, because I think a lot of people are trying to grow their businesses to a point where they want to take care of the big clients and they want to do all the things that, uh, you know, would net them all this money versus just having a good set of clients that will take care of you on a monthly basis. And, you know, there's only so many hours in a day. There's only so many things you can do on a regular basis. But, you know, also I think small and micro businesses or, or those working from home, they, they actually, in, in my experience, prefer uh, that I do uh, work for them in the evening when when their employees are not there. So we're actually, uh, you know, causing less downtime than if we're doing things, you know, during the, the, the business hours. But I think, you know, also in the last, you know, three or four years, I had slowly started to to convert my regular clients to kind of an MSP hybrid model where, uh, you know, we do the, uh, the the monitoring and protection on 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 regular basis. So that that has really kind of changed the way I do things because it allows me to take a little bit more in terms of number of machines that I manage uh, through automation. Um, but it also has uh, ha- had a interesting side effect. You know, in, in the last uh, year, I think I've you know maybe done three virus removals. I just don't see it anymore uh, because more and more machines that are regularly work on are properly patched and protected. And so I've kind of uh, sometimes missed the old days of, you know, just uh, straightforward virus cleaning and, you know, <laughs> move to the next. So No, I, yeah, I hear you there. I, I think a lot of times though, I, I could never understand why a customer would wait so long when their computer was running so bad to bring it to me to get fixed because a lot of them would say at the end of the day, they would say, you know, this thing never ran this good, even when I brought it home from the store. And I go, yeah, I know. Cause that's, you know, we, we clean up all the, the junk that's on there and get it running properly. Cause we actually kind of know what we're doing. And so I, I, I look at it this way. I, I love the managed services, especially I, I think for the residential clients included, because it gives them a working computer like 99.9% of the time. And they don't they have little to no problems. And when they do, you, you remote in, you take care of it, you do what you got to do. But most of the time, that stuff is being taken care of automatically. And it makes life nice for them and makes life nice for us. Because I've often said this too, I think a lot of times it's nice to have that residual income. But let's face it, the break-fix model, you actually make more money per, you know, per device versus uh, doing something over time. But I would rather have a happy customer that was taken care of and, you know, was, was able to do their computing or whatever it is they're doing for their business 
without having to worry about it. That's more important to me. And then we'll get paid a little bit on a monthly basis or whatever it is to make sure that they're taken care of. Yeah. I think, you know, once you start doing, you know, the MSP model or even a hybrid model, you know, I don't do, uh, I don't really have a plan that's all you can eat type thing where it includes unlimited support, but it includes, you know, the the patching, uh, you know, antivirus for protection and things like that. Um, But that really allows you to to take on more clients uh, without necessarily taking up more of your time because it's automated. Um, and and for for the uh, and I'm doing this you know with residential and and small businesses, and um, the only difference between the two is is you know businesses uh, that have multiple machines I build them monthly, uh, whereas for the you know residential client that may have just one or two computers I, I do uh, billing annually one year ahead of time, so that I don't have to spend time on invoicing and you know the administrative work that uh, would really eat eat away in, into the profits that's good i like that that's uh that's a smart way to do it in my opinion is yeah get it up front and you want people to be long term with you anyway so starting off with you know a year at a time and having it automatically renew is nice but you know ha- having a the the um the agent installed on on clients' computers is really beneficial in in other ways because, you know, sometimes you you may have a client that's kind of a infrequent uh, client, but if you have a relationship, if they know that that you have the agent installed in their computer, they'll call you first. Or sometimes I will call them uh, and say, hey, I see there's a problem. And they're like, how do you know that? (laughs) So they really see the value. And, and, you know, I say, hey, your backup drive is full. Let's uh, take care of it. So that actually can generate additional work and revenue that you would not be able to realize if you didn't know that client's backup drive was full or, you know, whatever the case may be. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, know, know that there's a problem before they actually realize there's a problem. And uh, makes us look good and makes us look like we're on top of things, which we are, and then go in and take care of it. So now what are you using for your managed clients? Currently, I'm using the uh, SolarWinds MSP or, you know, when, when I started with them, there were, were GFI and then Logic Now, And, you know, so they've been uh, merging with other businesses and buying businesses. So they're now called SolarWinds MSP. And... Um, you know, with the with the number of changes that have happened in the the corporate leadership, it seems like uh, the support is going downhill. So I just maybe having to look for something else. Uh, you know, like Ninja uh, RMM or or something like that. But it, it, it's a difficult transition because you know once you get used to a product and you have it on on the you know hundred or two hundred computers, it's it's not an insignificant insignificant effort to to touch every machine and and change uh the agent and learn the new system so the the obviously the easiest thing is to do nothing and just (laughs) stick with what you know (laughs) but it it works it really works well it's just that support has really been not as responsive as 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 uh, it was in the past i think that's a lot of times where businesses uh and this can be a side tangent but a lot of times where businesses kind of outgrow themselves to a certain extent and this is where i i wish people would stay with what they're good at and just do that instead of trying to expand out and be the everything for everyone well you know 
you, you want the, the, the vendor that you use, you want them to grow and you want them to introduce new features, where, which they are. So, so from that standpoint, it is a, a good thing. But, um, you know, currently they're the largest um, MSP, to, you know, platform provider in the world. So I think they're starting to not look as favorably on small guys like me. Um, you know, they say, hey, you know, why spend so much effort on, on keeping someone with, you know, a couple hundred machines happy when we have, you know, uh, consultants that may have 1,000 or 2,000 machines uh, under their management. So it's uh, it's difficult, but, you know, it, it's still working. It's a still wonderful tool. Uh, you know, technically, it does what I needed to do. And, and for the most, of, most part, it does it, you know, perfectly. It just... I guess, you know, four or five years ago when I started with them, it was so much easier to reach out and get someone to jump in and help you and, and resolve an issue than it is now. But that's the price of that's the price of growth, I suppose. Right. And I, I guess as long as it is it's working for you mostly. And, you know, one of the things I would say, if if and a lot of people disagree with this, but if you're getting 70 percent out of a product, you're doing very well. Well, I'm, I'm probably not even using 70 percent of the features that are available um, but, but, you know, I know some people that are really using, you know, the scripting tools extensively and, and, uh, do things. I'm like, huh, how do you do that? <laughs> I'm just doing the basic stuff. Yeah. You know, the basic, uh, remote management, patching, you know, monitoring of virus and stuff like that. Now, who's the, uh, virus engine that they're using right now? They have two and, uh, one is, uh, Viper and one is the Bitdefender and and uh, most uh, actually I think all of the machines I have now are using Bitdefender, and and it's really working well. I mean I, I rarely rarely see any issues, um, so I would have to say that yeah, and that's why I told you earlier I just uh, really don't do much in terms of virus removal anymore. I mean I I haven't done one in six months. I don't think it's just I don't see it. Now, when you say, because I, I'm, I'm with you there, I don't think that there's that many real viruses anymore. Most of the time, it's it's malware and things that have just junked up the system that you have to clean up and tune up. Now, are you finding that for new customers? Because obviously, the managed ones, they're taken care of all the time. But obviously, if somebody's not on a managed service and they're going, hey, this is this is pretty messed up. I need you to look at this. Are you finding that those customers have gone away too? Yeah, you know, I, I guess I don't really, you know, my, my well, I should say I, I really don't advertise whatsoever, you know, besides $20 that I spend on my business cards. I just do no advertising. And so all my growth is through referrals. And so I, I guess really I don't have that many new clients on a regular basis, you know. Um, but but even even those that are clients that I have worked with in the past uh, and are not a, a, a on, on, the, on the MSP platform that I use, I just don't see many infections in general. So I think the trend has really been uh, moving away from, you know, what we traditionally see, see as, you know, viruses to just pop-ups and advertising and, and, you know, fake Microsoft calls, which people still fall for. And, and I can't believe that, but, but people do. And there's Nothing that you can do technically, you know, to prevent them from accepting a call and giving somebody remote access to their machine. And at that point, it's 
you know, there's nothing that you can do to prevent that from happening. If 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 the end customer gives somebody a remote access, you know, that's it. <laughs> and that happens. I mean, I've had, you know, this year, I think I had two or three clients that said, well, they sounded, you know, they said they're from Microsoft and uh, they sounded so, you know, sure. And I said, well, I don't know what to say. You should... And I've had two clients that have called me on the other line and said, hey, I have somebody on a, on, a, on the other line from Microsoft. I said, hang up. Just hang up. Don't, don't even bother anymore. That's why, you know, my mother-in-law, she'll call every once in a while, and she'll uh, she'll have this pop-up that basically takes over the screen. Same thing. Uh, Microsoft, you know, you're infected. Call this number. And, and I have to explain to her every time that it's not legit. And she goes, but it looks so legit. And I go, I, I understand that, but this stuff happens all the time. And I go in and I, you know, control alt delete and get it, get it out of the browser, go clean the browser real quick and call it a day. It's gone, done until the next time it happens. She's like, well, what, am I doing anything? To, I said, no, it's just, it's random. You're just going to, if you're browsing on the internet, it doesn't matter where you are. It could be on a legit site that for whatever reason has something that's, uh, you know, in the, in the advertisement somewhere. And all of a sudden it pops up this pop-up. So it's not just, it's not like back in the day where I could tell people, hey, you know what? Stay off those kinds of sites and you won't have these problems. <laughs> yeah, it's now really just about anywhere. But the nice thing about if you have a machine that that happens to that that's, you know, on, on your management MSP platform, you can remote in, you know, without actually doing a full remote connection and just kill whatever Chrome or whatever they're using to remote in, I can see the background processes and I can just kill the remote session. And, uh, you know, whoever the guys from India that are trying to connect or that are connected, I just kill that session and then proceed, you know, to, to clean up the, the machine. That's good. Yeah. It doesn't matter how often you explain to your customers that they absolutely shouldn't call that number and should call you since you're their IT support person. But they just for it's it's this desire that all of a sudden hits them and they panic and they go, oh, wait a minute, what's what's happening? And so they're just going to they're going to follow through, even though they it seems like they should know better. And I think it it seems to be more prevalent with uh, older folks that are more um, I shouldn't say gullible, but just more trusting uh, and, and don't understand that somebody can call them on the phone and just flat out lie to them. <laughs> Well, they told me they're from Microsoft. Uh, how could they not be? Right. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Now, you said as far as as far as machines coming in and stuff like that. Are are you? Do you deal with hardware issues and stuff like that too? I, I, I do, but uh, you know, it, it really seems to be. I, I got to say that uh, I get the sense that uh, either hardware is becoming more reliable, or I am better training my clients to only purchase things that I recommend. And I, you know, usually do uh, business class systems, uh, which do seem to be a, a bit more reliable. And I just don't see much in terms of, of course, you know, hard drives fail, fans, but not at a, as a high rate as, you know, they did maybe seven or eight years ago. And I, I really don't know if it's just hardware overall that's improving. Or it's that my that the base of the computers that I manage, uh, you know, it's seventy percent uh, uh, business class systems. 
you know, I think a lot of times those, you know, when you're talking about things like laptops, you look at a laptop and this is what I explain to my customers all the time is that you can buy a cheap laptop and the components inside are not necessarily different than like a higher end laptop. The difference is, is in the fit and finish. One, the cheaper one, you can drop on the ground and it'll shatter into a million pieces or break hinges or, or whatever. And then the other ones are, they've got more metal in them and they're a little more robust. So they tend to, even if they are dropped or moved around or whatever, they, they seem to take it a little bit better. But I think as far as like, especially spinning hard drives, um, I know the, the vote is still out on the uh, SSDs. I think we're going to see as, as soon as SSDs take over, I think the failure rate is going to be identically the same. But with a spinning drive, I used to tell people all the time, if you can get past the first two years, it, it'll probably last you 20. But it's getting past the first two years on these drives because I think a lot of times uh, the manufacturing process, there are no checks and balances on that stuff. And the reason I say that is I remember talking to the guys over at CompUSA back in the 90s, and they would tell me that 30% of the stuff that rolled off the truck was DOA. 30%. And that's a lot, but you know, it's not like automobiles, which have to be government sanctioned and checked and all that kind of, there is no checking process. They just kind of roll this stuff off and call it good. And Hey, if we got to replace it, we got to replace it. So. Well, I guess I really don't, uh, you know, I, I really try hard to, to convince clients not to try to save 50 bucks and buy a machine with a spinning disc. Uh, it seems to me that we're at the price point for SSDs where, you know, there's really no great savings of, of you know, not buying an SSD at this point. I think, you know, 256 drives, which are kind of a sweet spot for a business customer, are under 100 bucks now. Um, you know, so so at, when you look at the price of the machine and, and price of the installation, migration and whatever, you know, the 50 $60 difference, it's just almost negligible. That is a good point. And I think a lot of times the other things you look at, especially when you're talking about laptops is low power consumption versus something that's mechanical and spinning and, and creating a lot of heat. So there's a lot less heat. So I, yeah, there's, I think all the way around SSDs are definitely the way to go. Yeah. Both from the reliability standpoint and, and the speed. And, uh, you know, when, whenever you get a client with an SSD in their machine, all of a sudden, that becomes the standard. It can't go back to a spinning disk. So you get them hooked uh, on one machine, and that's it. <laughs> you don't have to convince them next time. I think and we're, what we're going to have to do is we're going to have to get much, much better at making sure that they have a automated backup in place because uh, that's, my only, that's my only problem with the spinning drives versus the SSDs now is that SSDs, if it goes down, you're sending it out to somebody. We're 90, probably 95% of the time on a spinning drive with software, I can usually get the data back. Yeah, I don't think uh, we've had, I mean, I have not had any SSDs fail yet. So I have not uh, encountered any instances where I had to send it out. Uh, but, you know, we've only really been using them, you know, kind of widespread use for the last, you know, what, three years. So it makes sense we haven't had huge numbers fail. But I, I, I I do think that they are more reliable just because they have no moving parts. Because anything that's mechanical, you know, it's going to break sooner or later. Absolutely. I agree. 
All right. So what um, now, obviously, you said you weren't having a whole lot of uh, virus removals and different things like that. But what are some of the tools, software or hardware that you like to use in your business on a regular basis? Well, I, um, I I do like to use, I still use the old version of D7, which I think, uh, not D7 too, but the original. Um, I use that kind of as, a, you know, the original tool that I install on a machine, get a snapshot. It gives you a nice little uh, summary of serial numbers, you know, the, the health of the disks, health of the battery and such. So that's my kind of go-to that I you know, plug in on a machine, any machine that I get uh, in my shop uh, because it emails me a little uh, summary. So I kind of put that in my uh, notes on, uh, you know, what I've worked on. Um, the the other, uh, let's see, what else do I use? Uh, recently, I've got a uh, purchased um, Active Studio. Um, I've been getting more and more request to securely wipe disks. Um, so I use that even though there are, I, I know there are free tools available to do that and I used to use those. But Active uh, Studio has a program called Kill Disk that allows you to print up a uh, nice little certificate of destruction with your company's logo and the name of the client and the serial number. So, you know, once you send that back to the client that certifies that the data has been, you know, destroyed and it's no longer recoverable, it just, it, you know, it seems to me that it was worth $200 uh, price that I paid for it for, for the uh, professional um, look and feel that, you know, clients get back uh, when they receive the certificate. So uh, that's kind of been a recent addition um, in my, my toolbox. Uh, let's see what else. Um, yeah, for the last year or so, I've been uh, using um, Veeam for local backups. I don't know if you've had a chance to play with it, but the Veeam is. Um, I think they're normally in in a kind of an enterprise space, and and they do a lot of uh, backups for servers and such. So they released this product that's basically kind of a dumbed-down version that uh, it's it's Veeam uh, endpoint backup, and you can put it on a you know workstation or a server, and it does uh, backups, does uh, you know automatic backups, and and the thing that I like about it, it it can send you a um, you know daily or weekly or you know whatever you set backups to, to happen, uh, it sends you uh, a message uh, that, you know, backup was either successful or it failed, which is really helpful because as soon as you know that backup failed, you can, you know, um, investigate and uh, say, hey, why didn't this work? What's going on? You can even, I think, recover into, um, um, you know, virtual environment, although I haven't quite played with that. Um, so it's it's a nice little tool, and uh, even for the free product, they offer email support, and I've used that once or twice. Uh, that was, you know, kind of surprising, but I was glad to see they had it. Nice. Yeah. Now going back to now D7, the original D7, I think you can still get for free. 
I believe so. I believe so. I, I paid for it, you know, a long time ago. And, you know, I, I had it customized with my logo and such. Um, so it looks a little bit more professional. But, um, um, yeah, I, I believe that the original version is now free. That's correct. Very cool. So, yeah, it, you're not the only one. I know there's uh, there's several people that are still using that, and that's their go-to tool because it does what they need to do. Yeah, the other uh, the other tool is obviously you know Fabs. Uh, I think uh, I, I don't think there's anyone who's not using that. <laughs> I would hope not. <laughs> so, and the other tool that's kind of similar to D7 uh, is called UVK uh, Ultra Virus Killer, and uh, that's you know also I, I would say very similar to D7. It has a lot of scripting abilities. You can run things in batches. Uh, so that was one of the subsets of that tool is um, it allows you to uninstall, you know, 10, 15 programs uh, without any interaction, essentially. So it's kind of a nice batch uninstaller. And um, I think that's, I don't know what it costs now, but I think it was like, I don't know, 50 bucks or something like that. Uh, something very, very reasonable that allows you to do, you know, to, to customize it, customize it with your logo and phone number. Um, so I, I really like to support, uh, you know, little developers that, that come up with useful tools and, and charge, you know, what seems to be very reasonable prices. Um, so that's, you know, highly recommend the, the D7 and the UVK. Zarenko, you, 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 I wish you would have told me about this before because I actually have UVK and I was actually looking for, I was working on a couple of systems and I needed the batch uninstall stuff. And I thought a couple of the other tools that I have would actually do it and I could not get it to work. And I'm like, I wish I had known that because I would have pulled out the UVK and uh, actually use that because that would have saved me a lot of time. You know, and I, I'm not actually even sure if, um, if the free version offers that, um, but I'm looking at it right now. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at the free version, and and it even the free version has it. So, um, and and the, the same developer now has a tool called Tech Tool Store, uh, which I have not yet purchased or downloaded, but it you know looks like it's um, a, a nice useful tool that allows you to kind of aggregate aggregate all the other tools in in one directory or one flash drive and it does uh, you know automatic updates and gets the latest versions and i think it's you know you know under 100 bucks or something like that so it's it's very very uh, useful from what i can see and i plan on getting that as well very good yeah i i know uh, john dubinsky has talked about that and i have not checked that out yet Again, I wish there was more hours in the day so I could check some of these tools out. I actually own a lot of them, and uh, I, I still, I still have not used probably uh, you know, a, but a small percentage on a regular basis. So, yeah, it's uh, you know, owning them is really not what counts. You have to play with it and see what works for you. <laughs> and and I know exactly what you're saying because it does take time to to kind of make it a priority and test something new. When you're just trying to get something done, uh, or I, at least I have a tendency to just go with what I know and get it done. And I, I'll, I say, oh, I'll, I'll investigate later. But, you know, that later sometimes doesn't happen. 
Yeah, I've probably got a handful of tools that I use, and I'll probably use them, you know, on every other machine. So a machine comes in, I'll use one, and another machine comes in, I'll use that one, and then another machine comes in. It, but there's a couple out there there still that I've heard people use all the time and talk about, and I, it's like I go to load it up, and it's on all my thumb drives, and I'm just like going, if I don't get this one. It's going to take me a minute to, to learn it. So, but I, I definitely <laughs> need to do that. <laughs> uh, so uh, now as far as hardware tools, do you have any hardware tools that are kind of your favorites as far as working on any type of hardware? Um, yeah, I don't, I don't think I have anything special, you know, just, uh, you know, the toaster type thing, uh, with dual drives that allows you to copy, um, uh, drives or, or, I actually use that quite a bit now for for wiping discs, um, um, but I don't think there's really uh, anything overly exciting that I use. I'm looking around my shop and I don't see anything that I use that would be something that people haven't heard of. Or, or uh, um, I, I, I guess I don't do that much hardware uh, these days. One one thing I never try to do is take laptops apart i i i mean i've done few and you know i'll do the ram and hard hard drive upgrades but um I, i'm not a big fan of taking laptops apart it, it seems to me that uh, you really have to do quite a bit of it to become proficient and i'm not a big fan of breaking things in clients computers <laughs> <laughs> so i stay away from that no i don't blame you there every time i take a laptop apart i go why am i still doing this well, everything's getting, you know, uh, smaller, lighter, tight, tighter uh, in terms of the way it's packed. And, you know, all, all these Apple products are now glued. And I'm like, you know, I long for the days of, you know, just regular screws and, and you know, being able to take things apart and, and reassemble them without having to get the heat gun out or anything like that. Well, and that's the other thing, too, is a lot of people will ask me for, you know, what type of laptop should they get? what brands and, and what's out there right now. And one of the things that I do is I usually steer them away from a touchscreen, but that is getting harder and harder, especially on the, uh, you know, non-commercial side, uh, business side will probably have them for a long time, but it's kind of, I tell them all the time. I said, yeah, the touchscreen might be nice until you go to get it fixed. And I said, here's the thing. If you go around and walk around, walk up and down the street and look at everybody's phone, 75% of the phones I see have a cracked screen. Well, <laughs> uh, you, there's a lot of laptops out there that I know that have been, they, they get set on the ground, they get dropped off a table, whatever. And a lot of those will have cracked screens. And then it'll get to a point where somebody can't use it anymore because the crack is so bad or was in a, you know, in the middle of the screen or something like that. But uh, it's just, it happens so much that I just don't think it's worth it because you're going to spend probably half the price of that laptop to replace a uh, cracked touchscreen in most cases. Well, I think the only laptops that really make sense that are good candidates for touchscreen are, are, you know, uh, convertible laptops that you can use as a tablet. Um, otherwise, uh, uh, you know, if you're sitting in front of the you know keyboard and, and a trackpad, I, I'm just not sure that there's great benefit of being able to scroll with a finger. Um, you know, but if you're if you have a a laptop that's either convertible or you can take the keyboard apart, you know, then I can see uh, the value. You know, because it allows you to to 
really be two devices in one. Now, let me ask you this. Out of all the people you know that have those types of devices, how many of them use them as a tally? Uh, probably, you know, I would say 20%. Uh, some people do, but uh, I would say a majority like the idea and like the the option of using it as a tablet more than anything. And, you know, it, it's it's a gimmick to some extent, I suppose. But there are people that really do use them like that. Uh, I, I would think that they're in minority, but I don't really have a scientific uh, test. <laughs> I haven't counted them. Yeah, just the amount of people that I've talked to that, uh, you know, it, it to them it was a nice idea and they, they use it as a laptop all the time. I guess the only difference would be in like maybe his doctor's office or something like that. But you go in any of those places and what are they using? Most of the time they're using iPads. So <laughs> it's kind of, that market is kind of, it's still a weird market to me, but we'll see what happens. So now no other, uh, now the, the toaster that you have, what was the uh, brand on that? Uh, Cavalry. Yeah, I think it's actually the second one uh, that I have. The first one bit the dust, I guess, uh, after too much use or something. Um, you know, the the only um, thing that I don't like about it is that, you know, since it's just a dumb thing, if you're doing a disk copy, you have to copy uh, to, to the, you know, either same size or larger target device. Um, so for those rare instances where I'm actually copying, you know, 500 gig as a hard drive to a 256 SSD, then I have to, you know, boot up my my workbench and use a Chronos or or something that can uh, migrate an image to a smaller disk. Yeah, I think unfortunately the only time you'll have that feature in a toaster drive like that is the more expensive ones. And yeah, and and they are quite pricey. And I looked at them and and I said, you know, for the number of times that I use it. It's just not worth it, and and I just you know fire up my my workstation, my my bench station that uh, I can that I have a Chronos installed on, and you know can copy down to a smaller drive, no problem. Okay. And the Chronos seems to do better actually if you have multiple partitions and such, uh, where, whereas uh, these you know dumb toasters sometimes don't quite know how to handle that. Well, you know that's because they're using Linux. Well, I think. Uh, I think most of the yeah yeah most of these tools are actually Linux yeah you're right uh, but I think it's just uh, hard coded in in the chip and and it's some sort of uh, I mean I don't think these toasters have really any intelligence instead other than copy A to B and that's that uh, you know I think you're right yeah when it comes to things like a Cronus you know doing it the software way is uh, in that in those cases that you need to go from one side to another, it does make sense to use something like that. But, uh, well, it gives a little bit more flexibility in, in terms of resizing partitions during the copy or during the migration to a smaller drive. Um, so if you do have two partitions, you can resize them, uh, kind of, so they keep the same percentage of the space or change it uh, during that, uh, conversion. Now, you said as far as in your business, you basically bought uh, business cards, mm -hmm. and really all your advertising has been by word of mouth. You've done no regular advertising as far as uh, Google AdWords or anything like that. You know, I've done Google AdWords uh, once just uh, kind of to see, and, and uh, uh, my my phone kept ringing, and uh 
it, it really wasn't for me because when I was maybe getting calls, uh, you know, I was at work and couldn't really take a call. So I, I shut it down because it just wasn't worth it. Um, but also, I think uh, when you do that, you get lots of uh, people calling you for all kinds of things that click on your ad, uh, just trying to get pricing or trying to price shop for, you know, uh, oh, you, you charge 150 for virus removal. Oh, I can get it for 90, you know. Um, so I, it's just not the kind of client uh, that I'm after. Um, you know, I, I think going in and meeting with a client that uh, somebody referred me to, um, you know, even that initial meeting, you, you have much greater credibility, uh, trust, uh, because of the recommendation that came from their friend or colleague or whatever. Um, you, you know, so for me, it's really at this point, uh, just referrals, nothing else. And, and I'm kind of old school. I, I guess I just, don't do any social media really. So uh, people always say, "Well, you know, do you have a Facebook page?" And I, no, <laughs> not really. <laughs> do you have this? And no, not really. I mean, even if I did, I wouldn't be updating it or doing things. So it's just, you know, what's the point? Yeah, I'm with you there. Yeah, the whole social media thing. I know a lot of people will say that they they can. There's people that are getting good business out of it supposedly. And there's other people who are like going, yeah, it's just, it's a huge time suck. And I, you know, I can do things other ways. Um, I, you know, as far as Google AdWords, I, I used it twice uh, in two different areas back in the day. I shut mine off just because, uh, I wanted much less business and I still get people calling me. So it's kind of weird, but, um, there is a way to actually, uh, qualify people who are actually clicking on your ad and, You've got to go through and, and it takes a few months to set it up. But once I had it set up to where I was only getting pretty much legitimate calls. And one of the ways was I basically put my price right on my ad. So there was no, there was no, Hey, how much do you charge? Now you already know. And, and I put the price high because I didn't want the tire kickers to come and ask me how much, because doing it before where I didn't have the price on there. I, I ran through the same thing. I ran all kinds of people just asking price, you know, shopping. And, uh, so this, uh, you know, doing it that way can kind of save you money. But, um, if you don't have enough time to actually handle all these customers, and especially I, I ran the same problem getting phone calls during the day, it's just, it is not worth it, uh, in a lot of sense. Yeah. For, I think, uh, you know, for, for part-time guys like me, uh, it's just, not um and i said i think you can set it to only runs uh, you know during certain days or times or whatever but i i just never found it uh worth the investment uh because it seems like i have just enough business and any more would probably be too much and and i think uh my 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 service would suffer in terms of getting back to clients quickly and and responding uh um, you know, my clients still are amazed that I'm able to get to them as quickly as, as I do, uh, you know, with a full-time job and a family and all that. Um, and, and I think they appreciate it. So, uh, tr trying to get more business, maybe may doing, uh, a disservice to the current clients. I agree with that. I, that, that sounds really good. Now, as far as, uh, your business cards, where did you get your business cards at? I think, uh, Vista print or something like that. Yeah, I, I didn't really spend much money on that either. 
Gotcha. Now, do you actually are you do you pass those out to customers or just as uh, customers come on board? Yeah, I just pass them. You know, whenever I meet people, I I try to pass my cards. Uh, you know, because there's we've personally met, uh, so I think it's easier. Um, I always leave a few extra cards with clients. Um, and, and, you know, my, my current clients will, you know, certainly recommend me, even if I don't give them an extra card. But uh, it's it's nice to be able to, to, to pass a card for someone to have. It's just something physical that people can refer to. Uh, you know, if somebody doesn't need you right away, you know, six months from now, oh, yeah, so-and-so gave me a card. Let me look it up. You know, it's just easier. That's good. But, uh, you know, I think for as far as the social media, I, I just, I think, for people like me that are not um, either skilled enough to keep up or don't have the time to keep up with it, I think it's better not to have it than than to have it and you know not be updating it regularly or posting or you know. Yeah, that's always the hardest part. No, I and you know, I've always said this too. Those, in my opinion, those only work for people that have somebody full time that's basically operating somebody's social media for them. And they're not actually operating themselves, which there's good and bad with that. But uh, I don't, I don't think it, uh, it, you know, doing business in many different ways is, is fine. You just have to use what works for you. And I think there's a couple things out there that make sense for some people and don't make sense for others. Now, do you have any, uh, as we're getting closely into the show here, do you have any business tips, uh, things that you've learned that you would pass along to people that, uh, you know, would make people think a little bit? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, one of the big lessons that I've had is, uh, you know, don't, don't try to compete on price. And, and, uh, and I know when, you know, when we're all starting, we're kind of eager and, and to get going and we'll, we'll do anything for, you know, 30 bucks or whatever. But I, I think trying to do something on the cheap is, is, you know, something I've learned that should be avoided if possible. Um, the other thing that I've learned, you know, in my early days, I, I kind of liked using free tools and things like that. And, and I now avoid it. I, I say, you know, if I can't get a license and can't get a support, I, you know, I mean, and, and that's not to say that I don't use any free tools, but I really try to uh, pay for tools that I use and, and uh, tell clients to pay for tools they use. Uh, so that we can get you know support from the developer. Um, the, the the other thing uh, that I've learned uh, recently, I think over the last five years, is uh, when I originally started, it was you know PC only. Um, but five six years ago, I, I started supporting Macs, and and uh, I, I think it's 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 good um, to do both. Uh, you know, Apple users are. are becoming a much higher population out there, really. Um, so if you're not supporting Macs, you're doing a disservice to yourself. Uh, Mac users are, you know, sometimes more accustomed to paying higher prices. So that's certainly a plus. Uh, I'm not saying that you should charge more for, for your Apple clients, but, um, you know, it's those are the things that um, I would say to myself 10 years ago, if I could give myself some advice or anyone that's starting out now. That's good. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, those are uh, that's sage advice there, because um, I think a lot of times 
and I look at Apple computers as I mean they're they're all PCs. <laughs> well, they're they're all computers. You know, it's just that um, you know Apple has indeed been able to uh, build a. Uh, a premium brand, uh, you know, whether it's deserved or perceived, it, it really doesn't matter. You know, I, I have an iPhone and, uh, you know, I would not trade it for anything. But 99% of my clients have iPhones. So I just don't see myself as having choice, even if I wanted to uh, have something else. You know, I got to use what, you know, what most of my clients use. And uh, I'm able to better support them because I use it every day. Absolutely. And that's that's the uh, other caveat, too, is that you have so many iPhones out there. And I, I even get customers now that are thinking about switching over from a Windows machine to an Apple machine just because they want it to work better with their iPhone, iTunes and iCloud and all that kind of stuff. And, I'm, and they, they've asked me, can you support that? I'm like, yeah, it's it's not a problem. My only my the biggest thing and the hardest thing to me with Apple products is is finding parts if you're doing any type of hardware repair the software to me is easy yeah i don't do i don't do any hardware uh repair on apple i mean you know again um you know five six years ago when you could do the ram upgrade or hard drive you know i would do that but uh now everything's really you know kind of soldered onto the motherboard so you really can't do much anyway uh you know other than screen replacements and and it's just not something that uh, I feel comfortable doing just because I don't do it, you know. And and you're right. There, there are no parts. Uh, I mean, Apple does, unless you're part of the Apple network, uh, you can get uh, OEM parts. Um, so whatever you're using, it's either used or, or third party, which is probably not as good. But, yes, as far as you should be able to support, uh, you know, they're the same on a network and, you know, that kind of stuff. So. Um, in software wise, you know what the, the max and stuff still need to be uh, reloaded every once in a while. Oh yeah. And, and that's what I say, you know, 99% of my business is really just consulting, uh, advising people how to get out of their computers, what they're trying to use them for. And, and, you know, everything else is just a path to get to the point where they're being productive, whatever that may be for, you know, in their case. Well, Zarenko, I, I think, uh, man, we've gone through a lot of good stuff here on the show. And uh, I will tell you that I enjoyed hearing how you do your business. So it's been enlightening for me. And I've learned about a couple new products, which is uh, one of the things I like about this show is I learn about new things all the time, which is cool. Um, if you wanted to, where where could people find you at? Um. You know, as I was saying earlier, I don't have uh, any social media sites. So just my website, I guess, which is rentzgeek.com. I guess it's simple as that. Uh, my phone number's on there, my email. If uh, anyone has a question, wants to get a uh, hold of me, that's that's great. And I also wanted to end uh, on, a, on a kind of positive note. Uh, you, you missed a, a good show uh, at, at the unconference, and, and you were missed. Um, I'm, I'm surprised that you were not there, but uh, I think uh, for next year you should uh, plan on attending again. We missed you. Thank you very much. I definitely appreciate that, and I missed everybody there. Um, yep, it just wasn't in the cards for this year. So, But uh, definitely we'll put that on the radar for the next one. 
And I want to thank you for coming on the show and taking Paco's recommendation and sharing with us today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, and I want to again thank Paco for encouraging me to to participate, even though I was you know a bit nervous, but uh, I'm glad I did it. Awesome. And you didn't sound nervous at all. Oh well, that's good to hear. <laughs> All right, you guys can find me on the Google Plus at Jeffrey Hallis. Yes, I do have some social media sites. I don't post to them too much, but or Twitter at TechNutPC. And if you'd like to be a guest, like Zarenka was, send an email to guest at podnuts.com and we will get you on the list. And I want to thank our sponsor, Instant House Call, for this episode of Podnuts Daily. Don't forget, if you need business paperwork to get you started in your computer repair business, then check out the link for the TechNibble Computer Business Kit over at podnuts.com slash deals help support the podnets network by giving a dollar a month through our subscribe button over at podnets.com or patreon.com forward slash podnuts and i want to thank everyone for listening and subscribing to the show we'll see you next time on podnets daily Music provided by Steve Cherubino at stevecherubino.com.